way here, and I said, I think I've known Ken- Kenny longer than I've known you. <laughs> uh, Kenny and I go way back to uh, years ago. I was the youth pastor at Fairview Baptist Church in Minford, Ohio, and from 2002 to 2000, no, 2003 to 2007, and um, Kenny and I knew one another back then, and uh, I attended Tri-State while he was involved at Tri-State as well, and so we've known each other for quite some time, and I've appreciated his ministry. Brother, you've been faithful in the Word and faithful as a pastor through COVID. Um, so let's, uh, let's praise the Lord for Brother Kenny. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you a lot. Um, since I've been back, I've only been back about two years and had a, had a long coffee with Kenny, and it was helpful. Um, it's been good to sit down with him and reflect on my pastoral experience and being a president's a lot different than the past. Sim- some similarities, but a little bit different. And so I appreciate his friendship. I appreciate you. Um, I was looking at your, we got like a little profile for Shawnee Hills in our database at Tri-State. And you all have given about $8,000 since 2016 to the college. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. Uh, it is, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible College, it is a very important work in our region. It has always been a small and somewhat struggling work in our region. And so to have a partner like you over the years, every month, I can't express how much I appreciate it. Uh, it's very important to us. Thank you for your support and your prayers. Um, I see other familiar faces. I've never heard you sing before. Um, I've known y'all longer than I've known my wife, too. (laughs) See, this couple here, the Coddles, they they knew me when I wasn't a believer. And so they, if you want to get the real dirt, they've got it. Um, And uh, Harry and Diane uh, Mayhew, I've known them for, they've known me since I was in diapers, so I appreciate them. And um, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about the school. Um, We've got uh, some classes coming up. I want to tell you a little bit about those. Um, Just highlight a few. Classes start on the 29th, so if you are interested in taking a class for credit, uh, we are an accredited Bible college, uh, so if you want to go on and do other studies somewhere else, it'll it'll go with you. And uh, we also have stuff for auditors. Let's say, you know, I don't want to get a degree in Bible or anything. I just like to come and learn. Uh, It's a lot cheaper to do it that way. Um, So you can come and do that as well. Uh, A few of the classes I can highlight maybe. uh, On Monday mornings at 10 a.m., we have an auditing class with Professor Langer on the Thessalonian epistles in the New Testament. Uh, On Tuesdays at 4.30, we have a Bible geography class. And the special thing about that class is there's an option to go to Israel. Now, you don't have to to take the class, but if you want to, there still might be a couple spots left with David Lambert. And then we also have a class on Tuesdays at 7 called Cults and Comparative Religions with Dr. Yakubu Jakata. Dr. Jakata was a Baptist church planner in northern Nigeria for years. And now he's stateside, and he's one of the professors at the Bible College. And then uh, finally, on Thursday at 4.30, we have a class called Contextualizing Missions for Appalachia. This is a, 
a newer heartbeat of Tri-State Bible College? How do we reach our region with the gospel? I'll mention some things in the sermon about why that's important. Um, but uh, Jacob Marshall is a pastor in Ona, West Virginia, and he is teaching that class on God's mission in Appalachia. Uh, we have uh, my, my inauguration is coming up on the 24th, so you can pray for that. It's also our celebration of our 50th year in ministry. It's actually our 52nd, but COVID prevented us from celebrating it. Uh, we have a youth ministry seminar coming up on September 1st in partnership with the church. We have a World Cafe uh, focus groups on addiction in Appalachia coming up in December. We're also helping sponsor Behold the Lamb of God concert in Huntington on December 16th, which is a special Christmas type of concert with Andrew Peterson. And then uh, we have our Appalachian Ministry Conference in April, uh, t on April 25th of uh, next year. So just some things. You can ask me more about any of those. Uh, here's a picture of my family. Uh, we just got back from a little vacation. We were in Washington, D.C. Uh, Amy and I are from Ohio. This is the World War II Memorial. We got pictures taken by each of our states. So we're from Ohio. The kids were born in Texas, and then we all ministered in Illinois together. So <laughs> that's, a, that's, our, that's the short story. I won't go into every detail, but uh, that's where we've been, and now we're back. We've been back for two years, and we're excited to be a part of what God's doing in, in Scioto County and Appalachia and the Tri-State. Uh, but what we, what we want to do now is we want to turn to God's Word. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6. Uh, if you will turn there with me. And our, our message for today is have faith, not familiarity, in Jesus to advance God's mission. Have faith, not familiarity, in Jesus to advance God's mission. Um, for centuries, people believed that Aristotle was right. He said that the heavier an object is, the faster it would fall to the earth. Aristotle was regarded as the greatest thinker of all time in some circles, and surely he could not be wrong, right? So, you know, anyone, of course, could have taken two objects up to a high place and dropped them and see, see what would happen, but, you know, it took until 1589 when Galileo did it. Galileo uh, went to uh, the Tower of Pisa, and uh, he took a heavier object and a lighter object, and he went up there, and he dropped them, and you know what happened? Hit the ground at the same time. And uh, those who were watching in attendance, it seems that uh, they still didn't believe it. <laughs> and... Uh, they didn't believe that the same rate of acceleration was caused by the force of gravity. So as the story goes, he goes up there, he drops the 10-pound, the 1-pound weight, both landed at the same time. But the belief was, the power of belief was so, so strong that the professors denied their eyesight. Yeah. Sometimes we are so blinded to the truth that even when presented with the evidence, we refuse to believe otherwise. Some cats are sneaky while others aren't. Some dogs are trustworthy and others aren't. When Jesus preached to his hometown of Nazareth, they heard his words and saw his miracles. Yet, since they knew that carpenters don't speak like this, and carpenters don't, carpenters don't do miracles like this, he could not be the son of God he claimed to be. 
their preconceived notions about, see, they had already made up their mind. They were familiar with Jesus. They had already made up their minds in such a way that it blinded them to the real truth. And so, brothers and sisters, have a, here's, our, here's our ideas. We look at the text. We're going to read it in just a moment. Here's my summary of the text, the biblical idea. Jesus' homeland took offense at him, resulting in a limited display of Jesus' ministry because they lacked faith in his person and mission. Let's read verses 1 through 6 of Mark, chapter 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there. Let me read that again. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. And so, brothers and sisters, let me, let me paint a picture of the Gospel of Mark real quick. I've, I've preached through the whole book before, and one of the themes that stick out you, to you immediately as you study the whole book is that people have a vision problem. People have a vision problem. They can't see Jesus. This is emphasized most in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus does a miracle that's supposed to teach his disciples. It's the only miracle that Jesus does where he has to do it twice. It's a blind man, and the first time Jesus touches him, his vision is still blurry, and then he touches him again, and it becomes clear. And this is a a story that really describes the whole book. Jesus' disciples have blurry vision about him. And then, further, the people closest to Judaism and the Bible and religion who should see Jesus don't. And the people farthest away on the fringe see him. Just in Mark chapter 5, right before we get here to Nazareth, he's in Galilee. And there is a synagogue ruler. Now, synagogue rulers are like benefactors or patrons, possibly Jewish, possibly not, possibly men, possibly women. But this rich man, or rich woman, or was a rich man, Jairus, this rich man has become broken because his daughter's dying. And he comes looking for Jesus. Come heal my daughter. But on the way, there's a woman who for 12 years has had a bleeding issue. And no one's helped her. No one's been able to fix it. And she thinks, if I can just reach out and touch You know, she's unclean. She's not supposed to be there. Ceremonially, she's not supposed to touch Jesus. 
And she reaches out, she touches the hem of the garment, and power comes from him and immediately heals her. And he says, who touched me? His disciples say, what? We're in a crowd here. I mean, Jesus, everybody's touching you. No, 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 no. Who touched me with faith? Not familiarity. With faith. And in the meantime, the synagogue ruler's child dies. And Jesus says to him, just believe. Let's go. They go to the house. She's dead. He raises the dead. You see, these people have faith. They're not stuck in familiarity. And we come, to, we come to the synagogue. Now he's in his hometown. I mean, if anybody's going to believe the preacher, if anybody's going to believe the prophet, surely it's those who know him best, right? Sometimes those we know best are the hardest to reach. And so first, in the first three verses, we see Jesus' hometown demonstrated unbelieving familiarity when they encountered God's mission in Jesus. Let's look at verse 1. He says, the scriptures say, he went away from there. So he's leaving Galilee, perhaps Capernaum. He's leaving that region, uh, that city. It's about 20, uh, Nazareth is about 20 miles southwest of Capernaum. So it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a hike. So he's, it's, you know, you have time to think on that journey in the ancient Near East. So it's about a 20-mile journey from Capernaum to Nazareth. And he comes to his hometown. Now, it doesn't say Nazareth here, but if we look at Luke, which tells, we'll reference Luke in just Luke chapter 4, we find out this is Nazareth. And, and we know he grew up in Nazareth, so we assume this, his hometown. And his disciples follow him. So his disciples are there. You know, we're going to Jesus' hometown. You know, we're going we're gonna to minister in Jesus' hometown. This is going to be great. Right? And so it's the Sabbath day, verse 2. So we've got the setting, right? The setting is he's leaving Capernaum. He's had these amazing responses in faith and healing and miracles to his word in Capernaum by people who didn't know him, right? And so we've made this 20-mile journey to Nazareth. Uh, We're in, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day starts at sundown on Friday and goes until... Uh, sundown on Saturday, right? And throughout that period, there were, there were different, there were evening services, morning services, afternoon services, and the synagogue had an order of service, just like we have an order of service here today. We had uh, an, a baptism, praise the Lord, this morning. We had uh, some announcements. We had some singing. Uh, we had some introductions, prayer, and now we're preaching the word. Well, j- in a synagogue, there was also an order of service. Now, the order of service comes to the point where the teacher comes up. And they've invited Jesus to the platform to teach. So here's the setting. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach, verse 2, in the synagogue. Now, if we want to look at what he taught, let's go to Luke chapter 4. Because Mark doesn't tell us that. Mark's focus, and there's a reason. You know, sometimes the, the Gospels tell the same story but tell it differently. You've seen this before? Well, the reason is Mark's focus is on the faith of the people. What's their response? Luke focuses a little bit more on the content of the teaching and the content of the response. So he's more detailed in Luke chapter 4. But let's see what he taught. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, I believe, is a starting point. Yeah, so it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. 
So you can see very, very similar in the setting. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now this would have been the case. He would have been given his message text. Not, it's not like today where I, I had the time to pre-select and study. He, he's given Isaiah. This is what he's preaching on. Now he probably would have known the, the schedule and the calendar. And the scroll, of course, he wrote the word, right? So so he is the living word. He gave the word to Isaiah, so he knows the text. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And here's what he says. He began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, man. What a, I mean, wow. Right? I mean, he doesn't finish this paragraph in Isaiah because the next part is, is, is not why Jesus came the first time. There's yet for Jesus to come the second time, right? Amen. And that part will be fulfilled then, but this part was being fulfilled right then. Right there. Now. It was available. It was accessible now to them. And he says, it has been fulfilled in your... It's, it's here. I'm here. It's here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon the Messiah. The Messiah is here. I am the Messiah. And so there's the teaching. There's, so when, it, when we go back to Mark and on the Sabbath he began to teach. That's what he taught. The fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah about the Spirit of the Lord being on the Messiah. And so in verse 2, we see their reaction. And many who heard him were astonished. They were amazed. Luke says this too. Matthew does too. They were amazed. Saying, now here's what they start to say. In their amazement, in their now take astonishment is wow. You know, what's, what's going on? It doesn't mean faith. Be careful. Right? Okay. Because faith is a bit deeper. You see, astonishment is a surface-level reaction to something that happens. The question is, are they going to respond from the depth of their familiarity or from the depth of their faith? What's going to, what's going to guide the response to the astonishment. Let's see what happens. They ask some questions. First, where did this man get these things? We grew up with this guy. Where, where he did, He's not a Pharisee. He's not even a trained rabbi. I mean, where, where did this come from? Where did he get these things? What's the source of of this teaching on Isaiah. How does he know how to do this? Who is he? I mean, he's saying these scriptures are fulfilled. How does he know this? What is the wisdom given to him? If we read on in Luke, we find he, he, he says some pretty harsh things, too, to the people of Nazareth. Where, where does he, how, does, how is he able to discern us and apply the word to us in this way? Where does this wisdom come from? How, how are such mighty works done by his hands? You see, the questioning is about the origin. They think his origin is familiar. They think his origin is Nazareth. 
His origin is eternal. You see, they don't see it. And we see this in verse 3 as they continue to question. And they react, and they're continuing. They're starting to, now they're reacting, they're starting to move to reasoning. How, where's all this, what's the source of all, isn't this the carpenter? <laughs> you see? See the move? This is the, isn't this the carpenter? The son of Mary. And, and uh, now there's a list of the family here. And, and we see also uh, in John and in, uh, I think it's in John, the son of Joseph. Isn't this the son of Joseph? The son of, here, son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon. If we were to go back to Mark chapter 3, Jesus is teaching and doing miracles and his family hear about it. You know what they do? They come out to seize him because they think he's nuts. Again, another example of those who are in, a pro, in a prox, close in proximity to Jesus. They're familiar with him and they don't what? They don't look with faith. They don't see. They don't see his origin. They don't see who he is. And so Mary and James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, they have the same problem in Mark in chapter 3. And so they start to, we, we know where this guy's from. He's, he's the carpenter. He's from here. He's the son of Mary and his brother and sisters. They're with us here. And so they start to reason about this, and their reasoning results in offense. As they start to think about his origin in familiar terms, they come to a place of scandal. They scandalize Jesus, they are offended, they stumble over him. And so Jesus hometown demonstrated this unbelieving familiarity when they encountered God's mission in Jesus. In the next 3 verses, we'll see that they fail to experience the fullness of God's mission. Because of that, they fail to experience God's wisdom and power in Jesus, don't they? Look at verse 4. Jesus quotes a proverb. This is in all four gospels that Jesus said this. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. So what Jesus is, what is he saying? He's saying that proximity, familiarity, have a negative impact sometimes, right? When we are too close to something for too long, it becomes common. Let, let me see your eyes. Brothers and sisters, this is a danger in the church. How many of y'all have been in the church longer than 20 years? This year is my spiritual birthday. I've been in the church 20 years. Raise, raise them high. Two decades, three decades. Who's been in the church 30 years? 40 years. Keep them up. 50 years. 60 years. 70 years? Okay. 
We're okay. So, and you know, if you've, if, and so listen, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to, that's faithfulness, brothers and sisters. Now, but you all know this, those of us who have been in the church for decades, we know that the temptation is to become familiar, isn't it? All of us who have been in the church a long time, the temptation is for it to become common. It's a danger. And Jesus, Jesus, this is the truth Jesus is trying to get across. A prophet is not without honor except in his home. The prophet has honor except where people are familiar with him. So those of us who have been reading the word for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, have the prophets, has the Lord Jesus become common? Familiar? And so he, this is his explanation. Why has this happened? Why has this happened in Nazareth? Because they've become too familiar. Verse 5, uh, there's a response from the people, or, or the response to the work of Jesus here by the people. The scriptures say, and he could do no mighty work there. That's, that is an amazing statement, brothers and sisters. That the eternal word of God incarnate because of the lack of faith and faith supplanted by familiarity, could do no mighty work in his hometown. We even stop and say, how's that possible? <laughs> Couldn't he have just like powered through the unbelief? He doesn't do that. We were made to believe. Hum- Listen. Humans were made to believe God. It's part of what we are. We were created to be believers in God and his word. And when unbelief supplants faith, we can fail to experience God. It's an amazing thing. And we, we want to let the text breathe, as Dr. Mark Phillips says at the, at the Bible. Let it, let, it breathe, take that, let it breathe a little bit. That's what it says. He could do no mighty work there. Except now, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. There were some who had faith in Nazareth, but not like in other places. So much so that in verse 6, he marvels because of their unbelief. Now, do not miss the second half of verse 6. Look what happens. The setting shifts. When God encounters in Jesus, when, when God, when Jesus encounters unbelief in Nazareth, suffocating Nazareth, What does he do? He moves on. He goes somewhere else. What a warning. He goes somewhere else. He goes to another town. He goes to another church. He goes to another synagogue. And he went about among the villages teaching. He doesn't stay there. You know, we see see this kind of imitated the ministry of Paul. Some places in Paul's missionary journeys have an amazing response, like Ephesus. And for three years he teaches in all Asia, hear the gospel from Ephesus. 
But in other places, there's no faith. And you know what he does? He goes somewhere else. And so, brothers and sisters, our purpose here, our purpose, we want, we want to think about this, to experience the power and wisdom of God's work in Christ. Amen? I mean, that's, that's what we want today. That's what they should have wanted. And as readers of the text today, we should say, wow, I don't want that to be said about my town. I don't want it said of my church. I want to experience the power and wisdom of God's work in Christ. I want to experience the wisdom and power of his word, the wisdom and power of his spirit, the wisdom and power of his people in community doing mission together. I want to experience all of that. That's what I want. Now the tension, though, the tension is that for many of us, Jesus has become common. Jesus has become familiar. And we start to say, we start, if we're not careful, we start to say, where did this book come from? My grandma had this book. It's been on my shelf for years. Didn't just some old guys write that book? God's word becomes common. God's son can become common. God's people and church can become common instead of holy. And it doesn't have the impacting wisdom and impacting power that maybe it once did. And that's not because the word has changed. And that's not because the son of God has changed. It's not because the Holy Spirit's changed. It's because we need to repent. We have in our hearts and minds allowed for the things of God, the sacred, holy things of God to become common. Brothers and sisters in Appalachia, North, we are in a region called North Central Appalachia. I don't know if you know that or not. It's not Appalachia, is it? Oh, good. I got some jokes out of that. If someone says Appalachia, you, you think, you're not from here, honey, are you? <laughs> Bless your heart. Where'd you come from? It's Appalachia, you know, throwing Appalachia. That's the way we say it. And uh, the Bible college, some of us at the Bible college have been working in, like, stats of religion in Appalachia, stats with Christianity and the church, especially coming out of COVID. What's the condition of the church? We actually interviewed Kenny on that a few while back. Um, and what we're seeing in eastern Kentucky, um, western West Virginia, and then the the major four counties of Ohio that are Appalachian near the Bible College. Now, we've looked at Kentucky and West Virginia. We haven't done the study on Ohio yet. But what we're seeing is people who identify as Christians like 90%, 89%. It's high, okay? It's not exactly the same in each of those places, but it's, it's just high, okay? People who participate in some activity to grow in their faith, 40%, 35, 45. What's the problem? Well, I'm not a Muslim, so I'm a Christian. Grandma was a Christian, so I'm a Christian. It's familiar. Christianity's familiar. 
This is just, we're just all Christians, right? But the people who are actually living a Christian life, it's down here. See, there's this gap between faith and familiarity. Jesus is just common. It's a common answer. Young people, nationwide, you know what's happening to the pastorate nationwide? Every seminary president I talk to, every Bible college president, you know how many people are going to the pastorate? Just keeps declining. Why? It's not important anymore. And I'm not here to be doom and gloom. I'm here to call you. I'm here to, here to be real and to say, we need to experience God's power and wisdom in Jesus. We need to stop being so familiar and treating God as so common and once again let him invade our lives and encounter the living God so that mighty works might be done in his mission today, right now, in Appalachia and beyond. So the, here's, here are two truths. You see, believers in Jesus experience the discerning wisdom and transformative power of his word. Amen? Believers in Jesus do experience the discerning. God's word and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you a discerning wisdom. You, you, you assess the world. You assess your worldview. You assess your finances, your family relationships, your work with a discernment from the word when you're a believer, when you're active in your faith. You have this discernment coming from the Holy Spirit and from the Word. You also experience power from sin. Romans 6.11 says, Therefore, count yourselves as dead to sin and alive unto God through Christ Jesus. You, exp you actually experience this when you are believing in the Word of God and believing in the Gospel. You experience these things. You are transformed. You become more discerning. You mature. Hopefully over those 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. That's when it's good, right? That's when you're like fine wine. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a believer who's matured and matured and matured in your deep water. You see. But the other truth, too, is that scandalizing Jesus through familiarity shifts the setting and recipients of God's wisdom and power to somewhere else. If you're going to scandalize Jesus as common, Jesus will take a lampstand somewhere else. Read Revelation 2 and 3. He'll, he'll move your lampstand somewhere else. There was a, a gentleman who lived in Long Island in the early 1900s, and he had ordered a barometer. And uh, when he got it in the mail, he messed with it a little bit. It was stuck on hurricanes. Like, well, this can't be right. Smack. You're not supposed to smack barometers, but he was smacking it anyway. He thought it must have been broken. So he left it at home. He wrote a scathing letter to uh, the manufacturer, went to work, put it in the mail. Came home later. His house was gone. Known as the Long Island Express, a hurricane, 1930 out, took, 1938, took out. Long Island and, and the and New England area. Barometer was right. He didn't believe it. <laughs> right? I mean, it was right. He was so he was so familiar with this. Just, it's just, just going about my day. Just in the rhythm. 
He was just going along his common, normal routine. And something so astonishing comes in. He functioned from familiarity, not from faith. You see? He didn't believe it. And so, brothers and sisters, today our message is this. Have faith, not familiarity, in Jesus to advance God's mission. Let me give you two ways to maybe apply, try to think about applying this. Have faith, not familiarity, in Jesus to advance God's mission at Shawnee Hills. First, ask the question, am I familiar or do I have faith? Is it familiarity or faith for me? And really prayerfully consider that. I mean, go into your prayer closet or wherever you pray. Estab- <laughs> Listen, one of the words for prayer in the New Testament is emphasizes that you establish a time and place for prayer. Not every word means that, but one word does. Prayerfully consider your response to encounters with God's advancing mission. How do you respond when God moves? With his word or with transformative power in calling you to discernment and purity? How do you respond to God's holy movement in your life? And the danger we're trying to... See, proximity breeds familiarity. The longer we're near it, the, the better the chance it becomes common. Familiarity is perplexed by Jesus' wisdom and power. I mean, you might read something that in the Word and it's calling you to make a change and you just, you just, you just are comfortable being confused about it. <laughs> you don't do anything. You don't ask for clarity. You don't get in a small group and say, hey, let's study this. I'm having trouble with it. You just, eh. I'm confused, so what? Familiarity makes something common. That's what it does, right? We all know, we know this, right? I mean, the longer we're in our homes, the more comfortable we're in our homes, right? The longer I'm in my car, the more comfortable. I don't care if I vacuum the floors out of me. I gotta take kids to soccer practice. Come on. This is gonna be grassy tomorrow. Right? I mean, it's just common. Now, if it's a new car, maybe that thing's gonna be spotless. Take your shoes off when you get in the car, kids, right? I mean, this is just how we are. Familiarity eventually scandalizes Jesus. Eventually, you take offense. Jesus is gonna call you to some kind of wisdom or some kind of transformation, and you are going to take offense at him for doing that in your life because you are comfortable. He's going to want to do something at the church that maybe you've never done before, and you're going to say, no. I'm reading a book about Meriwether Lewis and, and, and Clark. Clark. Lewis and Clark, yeah. You know, they expected to find a waterway that would take them all the way to the Pacific when they were journeying out west. You know what they found? Rocky Mountains. Miles and miles of Rocky Mountains. You know what you can't do in the Rocky Mountains? Use a canoe. <laughs> you, sometimes, we're coming out of COVID, church. It's different. It just is. Whether you, I don't like it, but it's a different. People have changed. So how are you going to follow Jesus into the mountains? Well, put your, you better not take your canoe because it's not going to work. Don't let familiarity cause you to make things common and to scandalize Jesus. And I think this is a major problem in our area. 
It's a problem for me. I'm trying to think through the Bible. What does it mean for us to reach people and train people at the Bible college now? How do we have to adapt? It's a major problem in our nation, I think. So how to apply this, have faith not familiar? Well, first, go to the place of prayer and consider how you, how you react when you encounter God wanting to do something in your life and in your church. Secondly, last one, staying or shifting. Prayerfully consider your congregational experience of God's advancing mission. Is God abiding with you or has he moved on? Oh, we don't like to ask that question. It's his abi- it seems like his abiding. Now, I've only been here twice, though, and there's a lot of people here. It seems like y'all have something going on. But let's, act, let's not be afraid to prayerfully ask, is God abiding here with us? Or is he, we never need to be afraid to ask that question. It's a, it's a holy question to ask. God, are you with us? Because remember what Moses said to the people of Israel? Or to God when, when the Lord was leading the people. Lord, if you don't go with us, then we're not going. Right? Because how else are they going to know that we're your people? you got to go with us. And so is he abiding or is he shifted? Discerning wisdom and transformative power accompany the presence and word of God. Is discernment happening here? Is transformation, life transformation happening here? That's what we need to be asking. Is there an abiding experience of Jesus' wisdom and power? Or does scandalizing Jesus as common shift the setting of God's mission away from us? Is that, are we, are we treating him too common in some way? So we just want to ask the questions, right? We don't want to be like the, um, the professors in Galileo's day who watched the objects fall and said, nope, I don't believe it. (laughs) We don't want to be like the guy in Long Island who's like, hurricane, no way. We want to look at Jesus and see, wow, there's wisdom, there's power in Jesus' name. In In his death and resurrection, there's wisdom. He's the wisdom of God. To die to sin and to live unto God, that's wisdom. Young people, that's wisdom. There's power. Wow, he changes people's lives. No thanks. Really? Let's not, let's not treat him as common. Let's have faith, not familiarity. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you've been 